The Descant Music and Media Group presents In Search of Peace and Healing with your host, Celia Boone. Welcome, friends. I'm delighted that you've joined us today and hope this podcast will be helpful to you. Rather than define what this podcast is, which is really yet to unfold, let's start with what it's not. This is not a meeting, and it's not church, but a dialogue to aid our search, the search for peace and healing. In some of our episodes, my guests and I will discuss ideas and strategies that we've picked up from various places, including 12-step programs from churches and many other sources. Take what you like and leave the rest. Welcome, friends. It's good to be back with you. And I really appreciate your listening. I hope you're being helped by what you've heard. So first of all, before I forget, but also this is very important to me, today is a very special day. This is the day where 61 years ago, the skies opened up, the clouds parted, the sun shone bright, and a voice from heaven rang out saying, Look out below! And there was a little boy that was born, and his name was Ken. And so we are celebrating his birthday today, and I just want to take this opportunity to publicly say how much being married to you means to me and how very much I admire and respect you. You are my husband, the love of my life, and my best friend. Happy birthday! Thank you. Okay, so everyone's been hearing about, it's all over the news and oh, social media and everything. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that's really hard. The government's shut down. There are bombings in Syria and gun violence everywhere. You know, rainstorms, snowstorms, storms. They seem to be picking up strength and getting worse. People fighting wars of words on TV and social media. With all that going on, how in the heck am I going to build a core of peace? Because right now, man, if I pay too much attention to what's happening in the news and social media, I can be all stressed up and nowhere to go in a short order. So, I, I heard today someone say that world peace cannot happen unless we first have peace in our own hearts. That's where it starts. So if I'm interested in having people get along and, you know, let's stop fighting, you guys. It has to begin in my heart, in your heart. Just like the song says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. 
So um, one of the things that I do when I'm feeling distressed is I have developed a care kit. Now that's what I call it. There, um, for people who are in the mental health system, you may know this as a wrap toolkit, wellness recovery action planning toolkit. Um, for me, uh, it's, those are, that's a long, lot of words to describe something very simple. I have a box and it's really pretty. I got it at Michael's on sale. It's a beautiful box and it's big enough to uh, fit a lot of things in it. And that is my care kit. In my care kit, I put things that help me to feel better when I'm feeling upset, stressed, things aren't going my way, frustrated, whatever. If I don't have peace in my spirit, I can go to my care kit. Now, some examples of things I have in there are, I love coloring. And I love, I've gotten these adult coloring books, which are designs, flowers, butterflies, you know, they're all different kinds of coloring books. And I like to use markers. So I have my Sharpie markers and I have a coloring book in my care kit. I have one of my favorite devotional books. I have CDs of music that I find soothing. I have a scented candle. I love the flavor of cinnamon, so it's a cinnamon, cinnamony candle. I have a bottle of nail polish. Sometimes it, it's a good way to self-soothe is to just do something simple to care for myself, whether putting on lotion or painting my nails. I have pictures. Pictures of happy times with people I adore. And, you know, so I have an envelope full of pictures that I can leaf through and remember those good memories. I have an old phone to remind me, pick up the phone because troubles shared are dispersed and joys shared are multiplied. I have an old pair of glasses and they are there to remind me that I can choose today to wear my love-colored glasses and view other people, things, and events through the eyes of love. I even have a little tiny travel roll of Charmin toilet tissue because sometimes defecation occurs. Now, um, several years ago, I created a seminar um, for churches and faith-based groups on depression, how to heal and how to help. And in fact, that has over time evolved into the um, In Search of Peace and Healing. So there's a seminar that I do. I take my care kit and I put it on display so people can look through it and see what all I have in mind to give them ideas of what they could get for theirs. And I tell my story and I share a lot of information. That's one thing that I so enjoy is basically giving wellness seminars on mental health. And, you know, for people to be able to learn things that I've learned and to be able to speak 
um, during those times when I'm giving the seminars and when I'm speaking, I feel just 100% fully alive. So one of the things that I have in my care kit that I read frequently is the parable of the butterfly. And I'm going to read it to you now. A man found a cocoon of a butterfly. One day, a small opening appeared. He sat and watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through that little hole. Then it seemed to stop making any progress. It appeared as if it had gotten as far as it could, and it could go no further. So the man decided to help the butterfly. He took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bits of the cocoon. The butterfly then emerged easily, but it had a very swollen body and small shriveled wings. The man continued to watch the butterfly because he expected at any moment the wings would enlarge and expand to be able to support the body which would contract in time. Neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It was never able to fly. What the man, in his kindness and haste, did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through that tiny opening were God's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings, so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. You know, sometimes struggles are exactly what we need in our lives. If God allowed us to go through life without any obstacles, it would cripple us. We would not be as strong as we could have been. We could never fly. Now, I don't know who the author is, or I would definitely get credit. Um, If you'd like to look this up on the Google for yourself, um, you can type in Parable of the Butterfly. Um, That's how I found it online. This, for me, the first time I read it, I was so deeply in depression, and I was hating life. And my sister-in-law, Erica, sent it to me. And I sat there looking at the email, tears streaming down my face. And that was one of the pivotal moments in my life. Because I had always viewed struggle as being bad, negative, terrible, something to be avoided at all costs. And I never thought about what are the benefits of struggle. For one thing, it makes us stronger. And I want to be strong. So I had to reinterpret. Because of this parable, it helped me to reinterpret what struggle is and my relationship with it. So when I'm going through struggles, many times I open up my box and I read this parable again. And I I make these little butterflies out of scrapbooking paper. They're just so cute. It's kind of origami and tie it together and um, with a pipe cleaner. So 
I, I do love butterflies. Um, and they just help me to remember if I'm going through a struggle, I'm getting stronger and that's really good. So now, um, today I'm so delighted to be able to introduce you to a dear friend of mine, part of my support network. You know, I consider her a second mom and her name is Marion Johansson. Well, let's see. So first we're going to take a break and, um, after the break, you will meet Marion. You're listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. We'll return to the show in just a moment. If you are enjoying this podcast and would like to learn more, we invite you to go to our website, descant-mmg.weebly.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget LinkedIn. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Go to www.spreaker.com and then do a search for Descant Music and Media Group. We can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. So pick your directory, subscribe, and then download episodes to join us on this journey. Thank you. Welcome, friends. So glad you joined us today. Um, I'm very excited and honored to have as my guest today, Marian Johansson. And um, Marian is someone whom I absolutely adore, and I look up to her very much, and I'm very inspired by her. I've met Marian just a few years back, but immediately upon meeting her, we just struck up a, we both knew that this was going to be a really um, wonderful relationship that we wanted to cultivate. So welcome, Marion, and I'm thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Okay, so Marion is part of my support network, and like all of us, you know, she's been through some really tough things, had some challenges, still has some challenges um, in her life today. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? Not at all. I'll be 84 in three weeks. 84 in three weeks. So, Marion, I'd like for you to tell me about maybe one or two of the things, of the struggles that you've had in your life, things that, you know, really could have taken you down. I was a child of an alcoholic mother who drank all day. I was embarrassed frequently as a child by her drinking. Mm. She, we were out in a public, like she would take us to a swimming pool in the summer and she would bring a bottle of wine to the pool and she would be so drunk after a short time that she would be stumbling and and um, I, I remember also as a child being hypervigilant because I never knew exactly what was happening. I could feel undertones of tension, yeah. but I couldn't really identify what was, what was the big problem. Uh, my parents divorced when I, became an, when I was 23 years old. 
So they stayed together for the children's sake. Mm. And uh, and then they divorced. And that was uh, a trying time for all of us. So um, what are some of the things that maybe carried on into your adulthood and some of the challenges you've had as an adult? You know, things that leave the holes in our souls. My first marriage lasted 26 years. To, I was married to a physician. We married when he was in medical school and um, had four children in five years after wow. we were married. Uh, he was working 36 hours on and 12 hours off mm-hmm. in his residency. And then so frequently during those 12 hours off, he would work at a hospital in the emergency room for extra money. Back in those days, he made $20 a month as an intern. Mm. And then as a resident, it went up to $50 a month. Wow. It was so different than it is today. He suffered from bipolar disorder, which was not diagnosed until we had been married for 18 years. Mm. So his mood swings were very frightening. He would go out and buy three cars in one day when he was when he was up. When he was manic. Okay. When he was manic. And then when he would immediately go into a depression with buyer's remorse and take to his bed and stay there for several days. He was what's called now is called a rapid cycler, okay. meaning that he would go up and down quickly. There are, there are many people that build up right. and then build down slowly. But um, but he could call from the office and say, let's go out for dinner and 15 minutes be home and go straight to the bed and close the door and not want to get up until the next day. That's how quickly he could go from being in an outgoing good mood to in the pits. He frequently uh, threatened suicide. Yikes. And it was a frightening time. I tried to protect my children from that, and I I damaged them because I was overly permissive, trying to offset his, because he was extremely strict with the children. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they were to be seen and not heard. They never wanted to invite friends to the house because of he would he just was not a social creature did he do rages did he have the kind of he did rages okay and i i remember some of them so vividly our younger we have four children two boys and two girls and our younger son became upset with him one time and when he was only about 3 years old and he threw something on the floor and his father picked him up and beat him so hard on his backside that he bled. And I was, at that point, maybe 23 years old, with a five-year-old husband who was a physician whom I was supposed to be a lot less than. And so I didn't know what to do. I thought that that that's what I, I thought I had to let that happen. 
Oh, man. And during that time, I started, not the first 10 years we were married because there was never an opportunity, but at about 10 years into our marriage, we finally decided to build a house or buy a house. And at that time, I started thinking it would be nice to have a cocktail when he in the evening when he would get home. And this progressed rather rapidly from my having a drink before he came home, again with the children while I was fixing their dinner because he was late, and again drinking after that while he was having his dinner because I had supposedly eaten with the children. So I became an alcoholic quickly, and I had the gene. I think I, I, I have no doubt that I was born with the gene, and okay. it would have developed earlier if I had had the leisure or the uh, money or <laughs> whatever to do it. In reality, I probably was a practicing alcoholic from the age of 30 to 42. Okay. But I remember... Uh, drinking at my grandparents' house beer and just absolutely loving it. I didn't get the feeling with that, but I just loved the way it tasted. And Interesting. See, I always hated beer. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I know. Okay, so go ahead. Anyway... I would start drink. I never drank before 5 o'clock. Therefore, I continued to believe I didn't have a problem because my mother had been a daytime drinker. Okay. And I thought if you didn't drink before 5, that you didn't have a problem. And I drank between... My tolerance continued to increase. Uh-huh. And by the time I was 42, between the hours of 5 and 8 o'clock in the evening... I would drink about a pint of scotch. Okay. I realized that I it was still taking more and more to get me to where I wanted to be. But I was not a blackout drinker. Okay. And I would, my personality definitely would start to change. I would, I would say things I would never have said. I mean, I didn't look or sound drunk. Right, okay. I had a, a high tolerance, uh-huh. and I never slurred speech or had an unsteady gait. So my friends, my family, did not believe I had a problem. Okay. But I knew because of what I'd gone through with my mother. Yeah. And I knew that I had to get some help. I'd never been to AA. I had made... A, a very rigid decision that I had a high position in the church and we went and we had board meetings once a month and I had made a firm decision. I would never drink on that Tuesday of each month. And uh, the day came when I abandoned that pledge and I drank and I went to that meeting and I insulted the preacher Mm. Um, I looked around the room. There were 38 people in that room, and there were many of them who were weeping. 
but the one who was weeping the hardest was the minister. Um. When I left that place, I knew that I had reached a place in my drinking that I'd become destructive. Yeah. I had become someone that I didn't trust, I didn't like, I couldn't stand. So I went home, and for the next four days, I was almost catatonic. I could hardly function mm. with that. I mean, I could barely function. I didn't leave the house. Uh-huh. And by Saturday night, I looked in the mirror, and I didn't know who I was. I continued to drink. But uh-huh. I looked in the mirror. I said, God, help me. I'd been praying eloquent prayers uh-huh. to to feel better. But that night, I just said, God, help me. Mm-hmm. The next morning, I woke up my husband before I left for church, and I said, I need to get help with my drinking, and I need it before 2 o'clock this afternoon, because at this stage of my drinking, by 2 o'clock, I was preoccupied and hanging on by my fingernails to wait till 5 o'clock. Right. So he had told me once that he had uh, a patient who was an alcoholic. And so I asked him if he would call, and she was doing very well. I said, would you please call her and ask her to meet us at your office this afternoon? Because I want to find out what I can do. Uh-huh. So he did that. And we I spoke to her and her husband. They were both recovering alcoholics. Mm. And I said, she said, let me ask you a few questions. And after about three or four questions, she smiled and she said, I don't need to ask you anymore, honey. She said, you're a member of our club. Uh-huh. And uh, she had been in recovery for 10 years. She said, and I really think that the best thing for you to do is to go into rehab. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said, I think you need to get out of this environment, of whatever your drinking environment, to where for the next 30 days or so, your system is getting cleansed. Uh And you're also receiving help on how to deal with life. Yes. So you went to treatment. Yes. You stayed for the entire time. I stayed. I was there for thirty-five days. So where did you go for treatment? I went to Hazelden in Minnesota. Okay. And I started volunteering at Hazelden after my thirty-five days in treatment. Uh I went back as a volunteer, Uh and over the next two years, I. I had 10,000 hours of volunteerism at that place. Wow. Plus, I had started training. I'd gone into their counselor training program, which was intensive. Uh-huh. Intensive. We lived on the on the premises. And okay. When you say we, was that your husband and you and no, the kids? No. Or? No. My husband and kids were, they were finally accepting the fact that I was a recovering alcoholic. Uh-huh. So we're going to pick up this Marian story in our next episode, and we hope you join us for that. You've been listening to In Search of Peace and Healing with Celia Boone. 
a production of the Descant Music and Media Group, providers of music and media production as well as business services for small businesses and nonprofit organizations. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or visit our website at descant-mmg.weebly.com. Our podcast can be found on the Spreaker Network. Episodes are also available on Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, Spotify, and Stitcher. So pick your directory, subscribe, and download episodes to join us on this journey. Thanks, and see you soon.